MRAP snack. Over the last couple of months, a number of listeners have written in asking questions about complications of abortions, particularly of unsafe abortions performed by non-medical professionals. We've got Britt Long back on to dive into this topic. Britt, I want to start with some of the basics, and let's just flesh out terms. What's the difference between a safe and an unsafe abortion? What does that mean? Honestly, that's the key classification when we look at abortions. Was it safe or was it unsafe? It's important because those complication rates are very different between these types of abortions. A safe abortion is an abortion performed in a country where there's not a restrictive law, or if the country does have a formal law, abortion is still widely available in a clean location, there are experienced providers who can perform the procedure, and there's a standardized procedure. An unsafe abortion is the exact opposite. This is an abortion performed by someone without the necessary skills. They may not have the right medications or the necessary equipment. It could also be an abortion performed in an environment that just does not conform to the minimum medical standards. This mainly endangers women in areas where abortion is highly restricted by law, or it's a country where even if it is legally permitted, a safe abortion is not easily accessible. What this means is that women will perform their own abortion. They won't have medical oversight, or they'll obtain a more clandestine abortion from some sort of medical practitioner, maybe someone who has a little bit of medical experience, or a traditional healer, and it's often performed in an unsafe environment. And the definitions that you're talking about here are established by the World Health Organization. This is something that applies not just within the United States, but outside of the U.S. as well. And it's really important that we're specific about this safe versus unsafe, and we're going to get into the vast difference between these two. The WHO says that the vast majority of the 20 to 25 million unsafe abortions that occur every year are in developing regions of the world. About 97% of those are happening in developing regions, but we are very likely to see a rise in unsafe abortions in the United States with the overturning of Roe v. Wade on June 24th. And based on what we know has happened historically, we're not going to see a change in the number of abortions, but we will see an uptick in unsafe medical and surgical abortions. So when we compare the unsafe versus the safe, you said that there's a vast difference in terms of complications, but how safe is safe and how unsafe is unsafe? Safe abortions are just that. They're very safe. The major complication rate is anywhere between 0.1 to 0.16%. Maternal mortality rates at most are 0.62 per 100,000 abortions. Completely different numbers when we look at unsafe abortions. So you said 25 million unsafe abortions. Around 7 million of these women will have a complication. And there's a significant mortality rate. There are 68,000 maternal deaths every year due to unsafe abortions. That's anywhere between 4 to 13% of all maternal deaths. Now, the exact numbers depend on the country. In countries where there's significant resources, the number is around 30 women per 100,000 unsafe abortions will die. If you take an area where there's more limited resources, that rate can be as high as 220 deaths per 100,000 unsafe abortions. That's 50 to 360-fold increased risk of maternal death with an unsafe abortion compared to a safe abortion. There's a bunch of reasons behind these numbers. It can be due to poor provider skill or technique. 
It could be performed in conditions where it's unsanitary, there's lack of appropriate equipment, many of the substances used are toxic, and there's often poor access to care after the abortion was actually performed. It's an absolutely massive difference when we look at the complication rate. We're talking about one in every three and a half women who have an unsafe abortion will have a complication versus one in a thousand for safe abortions. And then the mortality rates, which are sky high when we're talking about unsafe abortion versus this tiny little number, 0.62 per 100,000. It's a vast difference. When we look at the actual methods for providing safe abortions, there's basically two routes. There's the medical route with mifepristone and misoprostol, and then there's the surgical route. The efficacy of that combination of medications is extremely high, about 96%, minimal significant side effects. For surgical abortion, the most common procedures are vacuum aspiration in the first trimester and then dilation and evacuation in the second trimester. But when we look at unsafe abortions, it's a much more varied practice. What are the approaches that we hear about when we're looking at unsafe abortions? There's essentially five general methods or strategies for unsafe abortions. Some are more dangerous than others. The first method is an oral or an injectable treatment. That could be a toxin like metal salts. They might use phosphorus, lead, kerosene, detergents, or something as simple as a tea or an herbal remedy. The second method is a substance or preparation that's placed into the cervix, the vaginal canal, or the rectum. This is often potassium tablets, again, herbal preparations, or misoprostol. The third mechanism is intrauterine instrumentation. This is often a catheter that's inserted, and then a substance like alcohol or saline is infused. There's also foreign body insertion. That could be a knitting needle, a stitch hook, a coat hanger, or they might blow air through a syringe. Obviously, this can be very dangerous. The fourth method includes transcervical introduction of a substance. It's often some sort of toxic substance. The final major method is trauma to the abdomen or the back. This could be self-inflicted blows, abdominal massage, jumping from a height, or even lifting heavy weights. Most patients will end up using a combination of these five different methods. I think when we look at those five different methods, we can see the complications that can occur. There's so many different ones. And I want to get into those complications because there are two major ones and then some minor ones that we should also know about. And the big major ones are bleeding and infection. These occur both in safe and unsafe abortions, but they are far more common with unsafe procedures. Bleeding. When we look at unsafe abortions, severe bleeding can occur in up to 3%, but about 44% of these patients will have non-severe bleeding. In safe abortions, significant bleeding as a complication occurs in well less than 2% of patients. Bleeding is going to be more common in medical abortions compared to surgical abortions, mainly because of what is used to complete the abortion. When we look at safe medical abortions, bleeding is completely expected. It starts a couple hours after those medications have been introduced, and then it usually peaks around three to eight hours. That's when the pregnancy is lost. After that, bleeding should then start to slow but it could last a while. When we look at the literature, the median duration of bleeding is anywhere between 11 to 13 days, but about a quarter of patients can have bleeding up to 17 days. Excessive bleeding is two pads per hour for two hours in a row, basically a rule of twos. If they have that type of bleeding, they're told that they need to come to the emergency department. When these patients come in, the differential isn't overwhelming. We need to be thinking about trauma or laceration to the cervix, 
the vaginal canal, the uterus, or even the adnexal vasculature. Bleeding can also be due to uterine atony, infection, maybe there are retained products of conception, or there's a coagulopathy. It's similar to postpartum hemorrhage with the four Ts, you know, tone, tissue, trauma, and thrombin. You know, when these patients come in, we're going to be getting that set of vital signs, but the pelvic exam is essential. You need to perform a thorough speculum and bimanual exam. You're looking for trauma and lacerations, and you need to get an idea of the uterine tone. If the patient has severe bleeding, then you're going to want to get some labs like a CBC, coagulation panel, and a type and screen. But if you don't see an apparent source like a laceration on your exam, your next step is going to be imaging, and that's going to be an ultrasound. You're looking for retained products, blood within the uterus, and then free fluid within the abdomen. Treatment is going to come down to the patient hemodynamics and the underlying cause. If this patient is presenting with bleeding after an abortion, obviously you're going to want to speak with OBGYN. I'm going to cover the treatment for several of these more kind of straightforward conditions. So if you see a laceration, you could treat a small laceration with maybe some direct pressure or silver nitrate, but if it's larger, OB will probably want to do this themselves. It'll need repair with absorbable sutures. If you have a patient with retained products or a significant amount of blood within the uterus, that patient needs vacuum aspiration. This could be performed in the ED in resource-limited settings, but in most places, OB is going to want to take them to the OR. The third issue is uterine acne, or this could be that patient and you're unsure of the cause. Your first step is going to be fundal massage and then administer uterotonic agents. The first line is misoprostol 800 to 1,000 micrograms by rectum, and that could be followed by some other agents like methyl ergonamine. If bleeding continues, you might need to place a sterile catheter balloon or even a Bacri balloon if you have it in your ED. That brings us to that patient who has a severe bleeding. They're unstable. You know how to take care of these patients. Do what you do best. Resuscitate, transfuse a patient, also administer TXA. You do need to have a low threshold to start a massive transfusion protocol. Basically, if you've given the patient two units of packed red blood cells, it's time to activate that massive transfusion protocol. Also think about DIC if there's significant bleeding and there are coagulation panel abnormalities or you see a low fibrinogen. If you have a patient with refractory bleeding, you've tried resuscitation, they're still hemodynamically unstable, or there's some sort of vascular issue like a pseudoaneurysm, your next steps depend on your ED and your resources. IR is a great option if you have it available. They can perform a uterine artery embolization. The other option is going to be a surgical laparotomy or a laparoscopy, and that's followed by hysterectomy. That's the last line measure. There's a number of really important things in there. One of the big keys is with medical abortion, expect that there's going to be heavy bleeding in the first three to eight hours, but it should start to taper off after that. Even if it is prolonged up to 11 to 13 days, it should be lighter bleeding. If you're seeing heavier bleeding after eight to 10 hours, you should be worried that this patient is having a complication, a bleeding complication that you're going to need to get OB on board for. And then when you have the patient who's really massively bleeding, yes, OB is your go-to consult. If you don't have OB in-house, don't forget your general surgeon. Your general surgeon can be a lifesaver here. So if you have one of those, get them on board because they can really help you out as well instead of having to transfer that unstable patient. Infection. After bleeding, Britt, the number two complication is infection. Again, much more common in the unsafe procedures. Yeah, exactly. In unsafe abortions, severe infection can occur in one in 20 patients and a non-severe infection can occur in about one in four patients. 
For safe abortions, that number is less than 0.2% of all safe abortions will have an infection. When you look at unsafe abortion, that risk of infection comes down to three different factors. The first one is going to be non-sterile technique. The second is going to be any retained products of conception. And the third one is trauma. Most of these cases are polymicrobial. Bacteria can include endogenous vaginal flora and then any pre-existing infections like chlamydia or gonorrhea. And then also group B strep, E. coli, staph, and anaerobes are very common. When you look at infections due to group A strep and clostridial species, those are the very dangerous ones. These microbes can result in toxic shock that starts with those vague symptoms like chills. Maybe they have some abdominal or pelvic pain, nausea and vomiting. That's all from that toxin production. But then these patients rapidly deteriorate. Now, no matter the specific microbe that's involved, severe infections are dangerous. They can lead to sepsis, septic shock, organ failure, and then even future sterility. Now, when these patients come in, they're going to present with fever, chills. They're going to feel unwell with malaise. They're going to probably have significant abdominal or pelvic pain. They may also have vaginal bleeding and discharge. On exam, they're going to have significant abdominal tenderness. And then on your bimanual exam, you're probably going to find a boggy or a tender uterus and a dilated cervix with discharge. Evaluation is going to include your normal sepsis labs, but get blood and cervical cultures and then also obtain an ultrasound because you're looking for retained products as that source. Treatment is going to focus on resuscitation. Administer those broad-spectrum antibiotics. One regimen would be gentamicin, clindamycin, and ampicillin, or you could reach for piperacillin, tazobactam, and clindamycin. You also need to speak with your OBGYN colleagues for source control. That's typically going to include a DNC with vacuum aspiration. Always want to keep this on your list of suspicions in young women coming in with fever, with low blood pressure, with abdominal pain. Keep in your mind that this might be the source that you have to be really focused in on. And I think sometimes that idea of source control, we can get lost with it when we're looking for the common things that cause sepsis and we miss this one. So always keep it in the back of your mind as a possibility. We've talked about bleeding and infection, but I want to hit some of the less common complications that occur. Let's start with trauma due to foreign body insertion. This is a particularly common in unsafe procedures, and it's one that we need to be on the lookout for. When we look at unsafe abortions, the rate of complication from that insertion of foreign body can be severe in about 7% of patients. The problem is that there are several very important structures that can be damaged due to that insertion of the foreign body. Vaginal and cervical lacerations are going to present with bleeding. We already covered that. The deadly complication is perforation of the uterus or the bowel or the bladder. Uterine perforation is the most common upper genital tract injury. It occurs in anywhere between 0.1 to 2% of safe abortions, and that's safe abortions. We have much higher rates in unsafe abortions. When patients have a large perforation, they're going to come in with bleeding. They could be unstable. They might have constitutional signs and symptoms like fever and chills. They're probably also going to have significant abdominal or pelvic pain. A small perforation is tricky. That might go undetected for a very long time. Now, when these patients come in, ultrasound is going to be your first-line test. This might find a defect in the uterine wall. You could see abnormal uterine contents, abdominal free fluid, or you might visualize some fetal tissue. If the ultrasound is negative or you're concerned about another complication like bowel perforation, that's when it's time to get the CT. If it's just the uterus that's damaged or perforated, OB is usually okay with handling this themselves. If you have a bowel or bladder perforation, 
then you'll need to speak with urology or general surgery. In the meantime, if that patient has a perforation and they're going to the OR, give them antibiotics, treat their symptoms, and then resuscitate them if you need to. We're going to have a future segment going more in depth into the medications, the complications with the different medications. But I want to touch on some of this here, specifically with the unsafe. You mentioned some of the possible cocktails that can be used, some of the possible approaches for unsafe abortions with chemicals. Let's talk a little bit about some of those complications that, again, we just need to be aware of. Yeah, there's a variety of signs and symptoms, and it all depends on the agent that's used. Many of these substances can damage the vaginal area or the uterus, and patients can even have renal or liver toxicity from these different substances. Now, we can't go over all these individual toxins, but the one I want to focus on is misoprostol. Misoprostol toxicity is very rare in safe abortions, but it's much more common in unsafe abortions. Many patients look for medications on the internet, but there's no healthcare oversight of these different agents. Many of these online products that claim to be misoprostol are not regulated, and they can contain other substances. The typical dose in safe abortions is anywhere between 200 to 1,000 micrograms. It depends on the route. This might cause some minor side effects like a low-grade fever, chills, maybe some very minor abdominal cramping or nausea. Patients may have an episode of vomiting or diarrhea. These symptoms usually improve fairly quickly. Toxic doses are in the 3 to 8 milligram range. These patients will have severe GI issues. They'll have high fevers, chills. They can also have some other issues like severe myalgias with rhabdomyolysis. They can be altered. They might be hypoxic, bradycardic, and even hypotensive. When you start reaching doses of around 12 milligrams, that can result in multi-organ failure and death. Symptoms usually develop very quickly after ingestion. That medication is completely absorbed from the stomach in 90 minutes. Treatment includes removing any tablets from the vaginal canal or the rectum or the stomach and then provide supportive care and symptomatic management until those symptoms resolve. That's usually around 12 hours. Summary. We covered a lot in this snack. And the reason we covered all of this stuff is because, again, we got a lot of questions from listeners, a lot of concerns about the fact that we may see an uptick in unsafe abortions within the U.S. And I think it's really important for us to know what those complications can be. It's fine for us to say we don't want to see those complications or maybe we'll cross our fingers and it won't happen, but we have to be ready. We have to be prepared for those complications as they're coming to us. And we have to be prepared to take care of those patients as best we possibly can. And that really has to start with the knowledge of what could possibly be going on for unsafe abortions, but also what is going on for safe abortions and what are the complications we should expect, how to manage them, and then when to get our consultants on board to help us out. I think a lot of this is really focused on understanding the physiology, the pathophysiology of what's going on, what the treatments are that we need to be reaching for, and then when to call for help. Britt, thank you so much for going over all of this. Hopefully this really empowers people to understand the possible complications that they can be seeing. I'm sure we'll get more questions on this. And when we get those, we'll come back to you to, for answers. Always great speaking with you, Swami, and thanks for having me. 